Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot and I am really excited about this episode because we are now starting this this series of five or six episodes in a row where I'm going to be interviewing different waterfowl hunters from around North America some in the Pacific Flyway, Mississippi Flyway, Central Flyway, Atlantic Flyway. And I want to try to gather a big picture of this past season's migration. I'm going to be talking to them about a review of their hunting season, season, but one of the main things that I want to talk about was, did you feel like the migration was behind schedule, ahead of schedule, was it a normal migration? What about the migration stood out to you this year? I can tell you for myself, the migration was very, very unusual. Most of the people I talked to clear up until the beginning of December were shooting green wing teal in, in Kansas, Oklahoma. I mean, the green wing teal got in here and everyone was just killing limit after limit after limit of green wing teal and the mallard limits were few and far between way longer than, than what you would normally expect. We'll start shooting mallards a lot of times in early November. Now towards the end of October, we got a really nice cold front. That's when I was up on the South Dakota, Nebraska border. We got a really nice cold front. And I know at that time, Northern or uh, Western Nebraska, 
got a good push of mallards and central to eastern Kansas did not. The mallards sidestepped us. And my buddy Matt, Hyperior Sportsman, he was killing limit after limit of mallards. And I was actually at the same time farther north of him, but to the east, and we were shooting all gadwalls. The mallards hadn't dropped down yet. So it was a strange year for migration. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look here in a moment at some data on the North American Waterfowler app and just kind of see what the harvest looked like. But before I do that, I want to announce some of these guests that we're going to be talking about, talking with. Today is the first one, and today I'm having on Chris Jobman, who exclusively hunts the Platte River clear out in western Nebraska. Now, if you didn't know, I've got a second podcast called the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. He is one of the most, if not the most, decorated waterfowl retriever trainer in North America, mostly working in HRC, AKC competitions, but he's done SRS. He's done all of it, and that's his main thing during during the non-waterfowl season and even into waterfowl season sometimes is he's got a huge kennel out there and he's training dogs. And that's where I got Georgie from, if you didn't know. <clears throat> so I'm going to have him on here and we're going to be talking about how his hunting season turned out and specifically what happened with the migration. Next week, I don't have that guest fully locked in yet, so I'm not going to announce who that is because it's not official set in stone yet. But the week after that, I'm having on Freddie King, who hunts in Arkansas on the Mississippi Flyway. The week after that, I'm having Captain Ruben Perez on. He's a sea duck hunter out on the Atlantic Flyway. We're going to be talking about him. Um, I've got a couple from the Pacific Flyway I've talked to. I don't have any dates locked in, so I'm not going to announce those yet. I would like to get someone up farther north of me who I've asked someone to come on who's farther north of me as well. So the idea here is I'm just, if you think of a map, I'm scattering it out all over North America, and we're just going to see what everyone's perception was about the migration this year and the reasons why the migration was whatever their perception was. For me, I can tell you my thoughts and my beliefs on it. We were in an El Nino weather cycle this year. And it was just warm. It was warm clear up into Canada. And so the birds just never moved. There was never any reason for them to move. If they're not ice fishing up in Minnesota, Wisconsin, if they're not ice fishing up there, we're not shooting the kind of mallards we want to shoot. And so I think it was as simple as that. Now, also, we're in the third year of drought. And this is the second year now, the bulk of the mallards have sidestepped the hourglass. The hourglass goes right through central Kansas. And there were, there were mallards there, but for the most part, the migration of mallards bypassed the hourglass of the central flyway. And I think that has to do with the drought. So that is my personal opinion. It was a combination for me of the El Nino weather cycle and the drought. I don't think it goes any deeper than that for me personally. I think we go back to regular water levels and we go back to regular weather patterns. Everything will be just like it was five, 10, 15 years ago. Now we killed, I killed a bunch of mallards in January 
and they were certainly around at that time, but it had to take the biggest Arctic, Arctic blast that I remember in the last 20 years, the most prolonged Arctic blast in the last 20 years to get us to that point. So that's my personal take on it. And towards the end of this um, series of podcasts with all the different guests, I am going to do a recap of my season as well, where I go over numbers and and um, talk about a couple of my favorite hunts from the year. So I want to go through and just look here. Um, I'm going to do a couple of sorts on the North American Waterfowler app. You can get that on iOS, you can get that on Google Play, or you can go to the northamericanwaterfowler.com. It is a <clears throat> membership base. You can get a seven-day free trial for it and check it out for seven days and play with it. If you don't want it, you can turn that off, cancel, and never be charged to think. So it would be worth you going and looking. I, I don't know why, quite honestly, I don't know why any serious North American waterfowler wouldn't want to have access to playing around with the data. That I've got here. I don't know of any other app or website that offers this type of content to people. So let me, here's what you can do. If I go in, I'm in, I'm in the filters right now under the lifetime stats tab. And if I go into custom dates, I'm going to go and look at November 1st of 2023. And I'm going to filter that to the last day of November of 2023. And I'm curious to see what the global harvest rates were. I'm going to click the filter button. Oh, hold on. I need to go into types and locations. I'm going to click on waterfowl because I only want waterfowl shown in there. And I'm going to look at the data. Now I can look at my personal data and I can look at my group data and then I can look at global. And that's, that's an accumulation of anyone on this site that posted in November, anyone. Now I cannot see anyone's individual stats. This is just, so there was 822 hunts in November logged on the site. 2.8 was the average. 554 green wing teal were harvested. That was the number one bird, which matches 417 mallard drakes, 153 hens, 132 gadwalls. That's that's the top amount. I'm going to go back and filter again. Let's just ch see in my personal state what it was. So I'm going to go to the state section and I'm going to click on Kansas and then I'm going to refilter that. In the state of Kansas, there was 93 hunts posted in November of 2023. And let's check this out. 215 green wing teal, 59 mallard drakes. So in November on this side out of 93 hunts, it was 215 green wing teal to 93 drakes. Now let's go back and do this a little bit different. Let's go back into the dates. Instead of 2023, let's do 2022 and see what the difference is here. So last year in November, I just love this stuff so much. This is, I'm just geeking out on this stuff. Okay, so let's filter that. Global community, this is um, just in Kansas again, right? Let me click on the filters and make sure that I've got it filtered right. Yep, just in Kansas, 122 hunts, 149 green wing teal, 119 mallard drakes. So it was still in November, more green wing teal were killed than anything else, but there was 
it was a closer gap, 149 to 119. Now let's take Kansas off of there real quick. All right, so last year in November, there was 1,543 hunts logged in North America, 1,005 mallard drakes to 807 green wing teal in last November. So you can see right there that last year for the global community, there was way more mallards killed in the month of November than there was this year, especially in Kansas. Let's let's take a look at um, Nebraska. Let's take a let's take a peek at Nebraska. See if it, if there was more mallards killed in Nebraska in the month of November than in Kansas as far as ratio. So 43 hunts were posted in Nebraska. And this is showing 2022. We'll start with last year first. 2022. 97 mallard drakes, 17 green wing teal. So last year in November, the number of mallards versus green wing teal killed was drastically different than in Kansas. So last November, there was a lot of mallards in Nebraska, but not in Kansas. That's very interesting. All right, so one more here. Let's go to change this to um, 2023, this year. So in Nebraska, it was 97 to 17 mallard drakes to green wing teal. Let's see what it was in 2023. This year, 26 hunts posted, 38 to 21. Now, one reason why there was a lot of people reporting under the free, I took, I had to take away the free aspect of this app this year because um, I, I put so much money into it that I just had to go to a different format where, because there was so many people logging for free um, that I, I had to make that shift. So there's actually fewer hunts being reported now than there was last year. But this, this year it's um, 38 drakes to 21 green wing teal. So still this year, more drakes in November killed mallard drakes than green wing teal, where if you go to Kansas, it's completely the opposite. All right, last thing, we're going to peek at the month of December and just see, remember these numbers. All right, December 1st of 2023 to December 31st of 2023. All right, now on the site in general, in the month of December, there was 400 or 732 hunts logged. 414 mallard drakes, 315 green wing teal, 103 mallard hens. All right, now let's switch that and add on there Kansas, what it was like. It was 90, what, 92 to something teal to mallard drakes in November. I think it was like 92 to 17 or something like that. 67 hunts logged in Kansas. 94 mallard drakes to 90 green wing teal. So it went from, what, 15 mallard drakes or something like that um, in November and then jumped up to 94. So the mallards did not arrive here until December. So they were about three to four weeks behind. Um, I didn't really start getting on them until late in December. But they did show up. So I would say for me, they were about three or four weeks behind schedule. So it's interesting. The data matches my perception and my, and my experience uh, based on 
this self-reporting data. Guys, there's so much you can do on this app with looking at data. I could have, I could go in and add all sorts of weather variables and, and see how people were doing on North wind days or the South wind days. It's just so cool to play with. I mean, you could, you could filter this so many different ways. So if you have not signed up for the North American waterfowler app and you find this stuff to be interesting, I would encourage you to go and download it now, get that seven day free trial and just play with it and see what you think. Um, Cause I've been setting out to create something like this. Once in the off season, I can just play with stuff. I've got hunts, my personal hunts on here, clear back to 2007, I think. Um, so I, I find it fascinating. I find it so much fun just to play with. And we're going to be adding features all, all the time. I already have things I want to add. I've got so many things I want to add on here. So go and check that out. So that's my perception of the migration from this year. We're going to have Chris Jobman on here in a second, and he's going to give us his thoughts on it. And then, like I said, we're just going to be jumping around to different flyways, different parts of North America and get people's thoughts on what their perception was and see if we can kind of put together a, a global picture, not global, a picture of North America and the migration and if was it different in Mississippi Flyway versus Central Flyway, Pacific Atlantic. So I'm I'm really excited about it. I hope that you're excited about that too. So we're going to bring Chris on here in just a second. Before we do that, do not forget FABrand.com, Final Approach. They are bringing out high-quality gear, and they are seeking to improve it all the time, all the time. And so make sure before you do any of your off-season, preseason purchasing, you go to FABrand.com and check out their lineup of stuff. And I know a lot of you are doing it because I can see when orders are being made. FDH10 is your 10% discount code. You definitely want to check it out at least and compare it and shop around before you do anything. Um, also, don't forget Motion Ducks Decoy, MotionDucks.com. The best jerk rig on the market, the easiest to use, the easiest to set up, the most realistic looking. FDH 10 over there also. And Onyx Hunt. Improve your waterfowling game. I keep saying this, and I fully believe it true that it's true. It's the number two innovation to waterfowl hunting since I've been hunting. Number one was the spinner. Number two is Onyx. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that success rates among people who use Onyx have gone way up before using Onyx. It is just a remarkable system. You've got to check it out if you don't have it on Exxon. All right. So. Let's go ahead and take a real quick break here. And then when we come back, we will bring Chris Jobin right on and we will talk to him about Western Nebraska and the Platte River out there and what his thoughts are. He is a character, so we will have him on in just a moment. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, welcome back. I appreciate you guys making it through that break and coming back here with me. So this, like I said, this is the first guest in my line of guests where we're going to be talking about hunt reviews and getting that overall picture of the migration. So I have with me today, Chris Jobman from Flatlander Kennels. He hunts Western Nebraska, Platte River. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Hi, Ella. How are you, buddy? Doing well. I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I can't wait to hear about your season. I, I'm really excited to hear about uh, uh, how you guys did on the hunts. I was supposed to be there. <laughs> well, <laughs> had to set it home. Honestly, you're not going to want to know. We did pretty dang good, like <laughs> we normally do. I wasn't going to rub it into you, but um, we had we had some good hunts. Um, our season was a little bit different this year. The weather was really really different on us this year. We had a, we had a pretty good season, but. You know, where we hunt on the North Platte River, it's just a unique ecosystem. And, you know, a lot of right. rivers didn't come down to way late. Well, I'm, we're going to deep dive into that, about your perception of why, you already said the birds are late. How late were they? Why do you think they were late? But before we get in into that, I want to get an overview of your season in, in general. Uh, but I guess taking one step back before that, just remind everyone what you've got going on with Flatlander Kennels and, and, and give an overview of that. Then we'll go into the hunting. Yeah. This, I mean, for those of you who don't know, follow us. This is Chris job and I own and operate Flatlander Kennels. I mean, we're a retriever training facility out here in Western Nebraska. And I, I've, I'm very fortunate that I have constructed my life. It's, it's taken me 20 plus years to do it, but I've constructed my life to where once the last major event of the year is over, you know, right around November 1st, I quit personally training. Um, my trainers train all the dogs still that are here, the younger dogs and the older dogs that stay. They they train all winter long. Um, you know, I it's not like I disappear, but I oversee some stuff. They call, you know, they talk to me about it and whatever. But I own a, a, a hunting club called the Duck Haven Club. And it, it's a really unique deal. There's only eight members, uh, very, very exclusive. We have a lodge. The whole nine yards is just like four miles from my house. And basically what it boils down to is just a bunch of buddies get together. We go hunting and they can bring guests and have a beautiful lodge. And we got, you know, we hunt the North Platte River. We hunt fields around the area and that sort of thing. And so I basically, I call myself semi-retired from basically November 1st to March 1st. Um, you know, once the hunting season stops for us at the end of January, I spend the whole month of February kind of getting ready getting dogs back in, getting um, you know powered back up to head south, head to Texas um, for about two months to train. But um, that's what we got going on out here. And I'm mostly a duck hunter. I mean, we do, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of goose hunting going on in the area and I could care less about a goose. Um, my members like it, you know, everybody likes to go shoot them. I really don't. I won't even hardly shoot them if they come into the decoys on the river, uh, matter of fact, but um, I'm mostly a duck guy, so I spend almost every single day on the river in a blind. 
How many do you do you keep track? I know that I got you an account on the app, but I don't think you tracked it. Do you keep any? Do you keep handwritten of how many hunts you go on and your harvest totals and things like that? Yeah, I do, and I and I apologize. I should be using your app. I got it downloaded, and I haven't put it on there. But I have everything on right. my phone. I have what blind was hunted. I have how many people were in the blind. How many birds were shot out of the blind? I don't do you know um, certain like. If it was a redhead or a mallard or I just say mm-hmm. ducks and or geese, I keep track of all of that. And right. our, our year was, was pretty good, but we, I'm really, you know, anal about keeping track of what blinds are shooting, what, how many guys were there, because that's mm-hmm. the only way really to track your season is, is, and I don't go by overall bird numbers, but that, that's, that's very deceiving to, you know, everybody wants to, how many birds did you guys shoot this year? Well, we, we shot plenty, but, um, my big deal is how many birds were shot per person and how many birds were shot per hunt. Right. And that's, that's what I care about. I don't care about overall numbers because numbers are that that's, that's, you know, that can be really, you know, mis misconstrued. Um, if you, all you care about is numbers, I care about the overall birds per hunt. And then, you know, mm-hmm. just how much fun each hunt was. Man, once I once I talk you into using the app, you're going to be kicking yourself. You never. I guarantee you that you I know. Can, in, in a tenth of the time it takes you to write all that stuff down in your phone, you, the app would just be spitting spitting I, I it know. back out to you. I, I know, I know, I know. And I don't keep track of the number of times I've shot. I don't keep track of number yeah. of dog retrieves. I wish I would have back in the day. You know, I love to know how many flashes got and breaker had and jet had and all those dogs. Yeah. But, well, the app makes it so easy. You can even upload a picture of your dog in there. And so when you, when you log your hunt, you just scroll through your dogs and you're like, oh, you click flash and yeah. it's as easy as that flash 15 or, or whatever. But I, I won't get yeah. sidetracked on that. I'm glad, I'm glad you, so you guys had about an average season as far as harvest goes. Um, I would say it was a little bit above average. It was lower than last year and the year before, but it was still probably above average of everybody else we we shoot mm-hmm. and we're not an outfitter right we're just a small club but our birds per hunt is, is very very high when it comes to right. our duck hunts on the river um you know we blinds are hit really well decoy spreads are really good calling's really good we you know we do all those sort of things um and we're very very particular on on and, and people have to, got to understand something when our birds per hunt was damn near 20 a, a hunt and that's quite a bit when you consider, mm-hmm. you know, we consider a hunt, a morning duck hunt is one hunt. If they go out in the afternoon for a goose hunt, that's another hunt. Right. There could be two hunts a day. So we're, we're, we're pushing 20 birds a hunt. And that's pretty good. When you think about, we don't run big groups. Like I said, there might be, you know, five or six people in camp at the most at any given time, maybe eight, very seldom, but we don't shoot anything but decoying birds. We don't pass mm-hmm. shoot anything. If they just fly by, they can fly by. We don't. I mean, we've talked about this before on this. We we don't shoot anything over a, tw- a twenty gauge. So all of our members and or guests have to shoot a twenty gauge or under. So we don't pass shoot anything. So we're not just out there to shoot birds or shoot birds for numbers. We I don't care about that. We we care about doing it right. So now I had this conversation a little bit with... different. If we wanted to pass shoot stuff, if I wanted to pass shoot stuff, our numbers would be a lot higher. But we don't. We don't do anything like that. So what do you consider uh, a decoy bird? I had this conversation with uh, with Bobby Hayes and like define the difference between 
Um, what does it have to specifically do for you to consider it to be a decoin bird? Anything that either you call and it spins around and it comes in for a second look and it's dropping elevation and it's right. looking like it's coming into the de- now if they come like like they're going they're at, say they're at fifteen twenty yards and they're still coming but they flare up because they realize they're decoys that's still a decoy bird if they spin right. around if they spin around and they stay at forty yards or thirty yards high and don't show that any kind of sign of them giving into the decoys and or call mm-hmm. or spread or call or anything that's not a decoy bird that's just a pass shot. Um, so it's body language they, more than it is distance. Yeah, body yeah, language is what you're it's all for. body feet language. down, wings out, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, if if you've hunted long enough, you know what a decoy bird looks like, and you know what a pass shot looks like. You know, you can goose hunt or call yeah. on the river, and you'll see these birds coming up the river, and you call at them, and they may swing closer to your decoys, and they may fly over you at forty yards, but that's not a decoy bird. They're just looking at you. Mm-hmm. That's not a de- right. that's a pass shot, and I, and we don't do that. Um, you know what a decoy bird looks like. And if it looks like one that's giving into your spread and you're calling and can you, it wants to come into the deal. And now they're not talking to all the way to the water, which I prefer, but if they just are giving it up and then they realize, Oh man, those are decoys and you shoot them. That's a decoy bird. So is your preference is your ultimate goal to put their, put them on the water? 100%. If I could land every single bird and shoot every single one of them on the water, I would, I don't care what he yeah. says. I do not care. What he I don't know says. what that's, it is. I, I love, I love killing them about, 10, 10 yards off the water. I like, like it's just so much purple. more fun because then you get the splash. Well, you do, but after you shoot the first, like if you get fifty of them to land, you're still going to get a splash because you're shooting birds that are flying up, and then you get a splash yeah. when BBs hitting the water. So there's there's splashes going on. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I was curious about that because I think some people define a decoy bird as like if it flies through at 15 yards and doesn't slow down, they're still calling that a decoy bird. And I, I'm with you. It has to it has know. to show an intention to want to land. Correct. That's not a decoy bird. That's just a bird that is actually and we have a lot of those on our river where we where our club is. We don't allow any pass shooting on geese or anything like that. So we have a pile of geese and we've talked about before that are super super comfortable living there and we'll mm-hmm. get groups of 50 50 geese at 30 yards high flying right over the top of our blinds our spreads our decoys and and we don't really put out many goose decoys on the river at all they're all duck decoys because mm-hmm. if we want a goose hunt we usually go out to the field but you know those geese will fly over at 30 yards 50 of them and not you know set their wings not act like they're gonna land that's not a decoy bird that's just a bird that's comfortable where he's living because you're not past shooting a bird. Right. And, and we call and we do get geese to come into our decoys by just calling with a goose call with duck decoys out because mm-hmm. they're that comfortable where they live. If you shot those passing geese at 30 yards, you do that for about a week. They're not going to do that anymore. They, they get off the river. They won't fly up and down the river over you. They'll skirt around you. They'll climb over you. They'll go, I mean, North and South. So you have a zero chance of actually decoying them in any way. So that's why we don't allow it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting. And I, w- I wish more people, more people would do that. I think well, we would all, we would all if, benefit if from it. people would ever come out and see like a, what a, you know, like the geese on our river, if you would see them fly up and down the river and fly right over the top of duck decoys at 30 yards and not have a care in the world, it's actually a really cool site. And we you know our members, you know, we're like they couldn't believe it when we wouldn't pass shoot them when they first first you know came out here because I got a lot of members from South Carolina and Georgia and Florida and 
you know, those boys down there, they'll shoot at anything with 60 yards and in. But <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a different mentality. And once they realize, you know, that's really cool, look how comfortable they are. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's a cool thing to see. Then when we do switch to, you know, from duck decoys to goose decoys that like later morning, then they come in feet down. I mean, if you, if you haven't decoyed a group of 50 geese at 15 yards with feet down hitting the water, it's just like a huge duck. And if you pass yeah. shoot these geese all the time, you won't decoy them like that. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the experience right. to us, not, not the numbers. So I, I know you track, uh, birds, per hunt do you track birds per hunter as well or just per hunt birds per person yeah so we don't keep track like hey elliot you shot four today i shot five andrew shot two i don't do that i do birds per person per hunt so let's just say do you know what that number was almost five almost five yeah that's fantastic almost five per per person per hunt it was Mm -hmm. four point well goose season's still going so the numbers are going to fluctuate but i think we're at four point Seven. If I look at my mm-hmm. phone, I think it's four point seven. I just did them the other night per person per hunt. So that you yeah. know, that's pretty good. It is, yeah. That's pretty it is good. good. Right. This was my first year personally. I was I was at just over four, which for me, I've never myself been at four. I try. I try to be at like three point three. If I'm at three point three by myself, only hunting weekends on public, I'm really happy with that but this year I, i'm gonna i'm gonna have to hunt a lot of years before i think i have as good a year as i did this year because it's that's like everything really, just fell really good yeah You're like i am you shoot a decoying bird now mm-hmm. our birds per our birds per person and our birds per hunt would go way up if i would let those guys rip into those geese at 30 yards right but i i don't i i just it's not what we want to do and i don't i don't care anything about it you know we've shot we shoot plenty trust me we shoot plenty so yeah it's not about that. It's about the actual experience and the yeah. you know, fooling the birds and, and watching the show, you know. I'm going to add this to the ad app, uh, hopefully before next year. It's going to be a satisfaction score, 0 to 10. So you can go and look over your your seasons and, and judge your satisfaction. And I'll guarantee you, if you let people shoot those farther birds, their satisfaction scores would be lower than the way you do it. Because when oh, you're shooting sure. birds in your face like that, I mean, yeah. there's nothing, there is nothing like a whole group at 15, 20 yards. There's no feeling sure. like that. And, it's and, night know, day different than buddy, those passions. You know, I talk to my buddy Chris Aiken every day when during hunt season. And a lot of times we'll talk to each other like, hey, how'd you do today? I said, oh, we shot our, you know, five man limit. You know, we shot 25. I said, but it was the most unassuming, boring 25 you've ever seen in your entire life. Yeah. Because they would come into 20 yards and then lift straight up. Cause they were scared and we were, and it's like, it wasn't that fun. Now when you right. get them in the decoys or in, in like really, really into the decoys and you shoot half of 25, you shoot 12 or 13 birds, like really into the decoys. That's way more fun to me than 25 birds fl- shooting 25 flaring birds. That's yeah. Nice. When you pull the trigger and they don't know you're there. Correct. That's, that's and, the and deal. Of, and our blinds are so well hidden that a lot of times we'll pull the trigger on them and they have no idea where the, where the shot's coming from. They'll flare towards us. They have no clue where it's coming from. I was like seven days away from getting to experience it. And the stupid heart attack got my way. I thought about going anyway. (laughs) You should have. It was the the easiest hunt in the history of the world. You only, I know you're talking about your podcast. It has to be warm for you, but once, if you can make it from the truck to the blind, it will be plenty warm. They're, they're so nice. Well, the blinds are so nice. 
honestly, Chris, it wasn't the health thing as it was the, the whole, the big problem I've had with the heart attack is the mental aspect of it. Yeah. Like it really gets in your head. And I was just really fearful just to be away from home with the head games that plays. I'm over it now, but it's just plays head games with you and you feel every little thing. And then it's like, that was the biggest adjustment for me was just getting over. Like, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. You know, you know, but, you know, you know, think of, you know, talking about that, you know, I don't want to bring up any bad, bad juju on anybody, but my dad called me today and I have a cousin who lives in Tennessee. He is 44, 45. He died today of a heart attack. Oh my gosh. He was the chief of the police uh, of the fire department in his town. And he literally died today of a heart attack at 44, 45. Mm, my gosh. craziness craziness so it, it does definitely how you we know you and i talked about your deal and i need to go get mm-hmm. checked and i've had some friends and um but it's a it's, yeah. a it's a scary deal had i been on a hunt where i was like out there i probably would have died because you know you get pain while you're hunting you're gonna grind through it oh for I sure mean, you're out there with your friends and in fact i was that same weekend where i had the heart attack right after it um i had a bunch of friends hunting south of you in western nebraska and i was thinking about going out there with them um and just thank god that i wasn't that i was where i was there's not much south of me where were they hunting they're right on the border i'll tell you the actual place um on the border of kansas kansas nebraska border okay so that's way well they weren't they weren't that that's they weren't that far west yeah yeah they yeah south and east of yeah but something i did that was kind of cool um is they extended – I usually go hunting with Chris in Arkansas the last three days of the season. I've gone down for years and years and years. And this year I missed it because they lengthened our season to January 31st here. So mm-hmm. And that's Arkansas always closes on the 31st. So they lengthened ours to the 31st. So I, you know, I, I had one member in, and we had a ball, just me and him the last two or three days of the season. And I literally shot nothing but a 410 over and under. <laughs> for three or four days of the season i literally I st- uh-huh. all so he had to usually quit about 10 o'clock because he had to get on conference calls for work and stuff back at the lodge but if we weren't limited out i literally i would i would hunt till about noon because we had a weird the moon was pretty bright and it was, it was 65 to 70 degrees every day it was Jeez. it was horrible but i wasn't going to give up you know and i so if we didn't have our limit by then he would go back. I would go back. I'd do a little lunch or whatever, and I'd come back, and I would sit in the afternoons or late late mornings, and I would shoot nothing but a 410. If it didn't come in close enough to kill the 410, yeah. I didn't shoot it. And I shot my limit, my personal limit, every day for like five days with nothing but a 410. That's and awesome. most of the days I was sitting there by myself. Uh-huh. Me and Flash That's were hanging great. out. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. That's and half cool. of those birds I probably killed on the water. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. So I want to get into you. You mentioned earlier that you felt like um, the migration was a little bit different than normal. One of the main things I want to get from people as I go through this series where I'm bouncing around North America is how was it different and what do you think the reasons were? Like, do you only think it was weather or do you think that there are other variables involved? Just kind of talk about the migration this year in compared to what I guess you'd consider a typical year. Yeah, I think, you know, everybody always worries about all the heated ponds up north and all that, all that BS. That, that doesn't do anything. I, I think our migration here, because there's no heated ponds north of us, right? There's none. Mm-hmm. The only heated ponds north of us are the natural warm water sloughs right. and stuff. It, it, 
our it was 100% weather, 100% mm-hmm. weather. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Because when we got that really, really nasty cold like you guys got, the big geese weren't even here. We Our goose numbers are a third of what they were last year because the big geese didn't show up until towards the end of January. Mm-hmm. They were up north the entire time. And this, this, the lessers moved out and the big, big geese showed up. And then when that really got really, really cold, our ducks stuck around and the ducks showed up, but they stayed on the warm water sloughs. So our yeah. river was all jacked up. You know, it froze over solid for the first time, the third time in 20 years that I've ever seen it. And it was locked up pretty good and it screwed us up. So it was really, really warm. The birds finally got down here with that cold snap. The river was all jacked up and then it thawed out and it was 65, 70 degrees for a week. It, it was the weirdest, it was the weirdest season ever. And it was one, I think, you know, 100% it was weather. Because if it wasn't weather related, because as soon as it got really, really cold, they started pounding birds down south. Yeah. So that tells you it's weather. Yeah. You know, people could talk about all they want, these heated ponds. That's BS. I don't even right know now. what they mean by heated ponds. Are they talking like power plant auxiliary well, lakes? or I, I don't even know. So, they, or imp- they call them impoundments where people make their own little ponds around cornfields and they put ice eaters in them or turn on a well and op- keep the water open for birds. Okay. Um, I, I, they, they call it, and everybody bitches about that, but I, I, I think it's 100% weather. And I think mm-hmm. the migration is moving west because of pressure. It's mm-hmm. 100% pressure related. That's why you, you don't see them, you know, Missouri rivers and Mississippi river flyways. You don't see those just having the numbers of, of birds like they used to, the number of, of kills like they used to back in the day, because I think everything's moving West because there's less people. I think so all down the, you think the pressure all up and down the Mississippi river has, has moved to them Correct. and more into the central and, flyway. And I don't ever think it's heated ponds either. I think what it is is a lot of people are getting smart um, like we do, we have a mile and a half of the river here on, for the club and the West half a mile is a refuge. I, I literally, and I'm, it's our own personal refuge. We can hunt if we wanted to, but I padlock the gates and there, our members have never even seen what it looks like. They, they don't even know what that, that looks like on the river. And it's beautiful. It's got a backwater slough. It's got warm water slough. It's, it's, it's beautiful. They've never even seen it, but cause we don't let anybody go in there. So those birds yeah. pile in that refuge and it's frustrating watching thousands of birds, you know, dump in that refuge and not you, you not be able to shoot them. But that's what holds our birds. So what's happening a lot of this is people are getting smart, and the people that have a lot of land are doing a lot of these refuges, refuges, and and birds are imprinting, mm-hmm. and they're imprinting west. So moms brings the babies; they don't get shot at on these refuges. Then the next thing you know, the babies are bringing their babies, and the ba- and what it's doing is. There is not a blind every quarter of a mile out here and, and not like Eastern Nebraska or central Nebraska. Where there's a blind every quarter of a mile and the river freezes out there. It doesn't right. freeze here. Very, very seldom does it freeze. So the birds are pushing West to, to open water. And when they're finding open water, they're finding um, resting areas that they're not messed with. Hmm. I think it, what ends up happening is birds are being imprinted for generation after generation after generation. And it's, they're, they're moving West. So when when is your opening? When did you guys start hunting the club there? What's the date? Uh, our first hunt was November fifteenth. November fifteenth. So 15th. we our season opened up like the third week of October, 
But we usually don't start doing any club hunts until at the middle of November because I'm doing the Master National and the Grand and stuff. And I've got okay. the blinds and everything. There's no really no reason to even come late, late October unless you get a really early cold snap up north. Um, but, you know, we started hot and heavy, and we started – it was really, really good for a while. So we were you killing mallards right out of the gate? Um, about a quarter of them were mallards. Okay. We have a is lot that of typical or is that normal or do you normally mid mid November? I would think you would normally be killing more than a quarter of them would be mallards. No, it's about normal because you got to remember everything was so warm up north. So we well, this just, year it was, push. but typically I would think it would be because I know it's like about, it, no, like we sh- we were shooting green wing teals at the last day of the season. Yeah, but this year was not we do it every year. We do it every year. We shoot green wing okay. teal. All the way to the very end of the season, every single year. Well, and we, we all kill them too. But I, I can't. I'm having problems understanding it because okay, they. I don't know if you remember, there was a really nice cold front right at the end of October, like Halloween. Unusual. It was home. in the Dakotas. I was, I was in Georgia at the Master National. So we had this really great, and it hit my trip perfectly. So I hunted the Missouri River on the South Dakota Nebraska border, and their peak season there is like Thanksgiving. That's like yep. their peak mallard time. So I knew I was going up early. We get lucky. We get this great cold front that, and, and we end up killing a bunch of gadwalls. I thought we'd kill some mallards, but we were just, we killed gadwall limits like three days in a row. And I know someone that was hunting your area and they had tons of mallards, which is farther south of where I was. So the mallards were coming down in that western Nebraska to all those reservoirs and lakes in your area. Yeah. Oh yeah. But clear up on the South Dakota Nebraska border, there was no mallards. There. You were farther west, you were farther east. Right. We were east and north of you and you yeah. guys had mallards and we didn't have mallards. Yeah. And that's why and I, I think a lot of the migration is going west. Mm. And I, I wonder really if do. the drought has something to do with it too because I don't, I don't know the drought conditions where you guys are at, but I can tell you like central Kansas, they call it the hourglass where birds pour through there. This is year three of a drought. And I'm, and I'm wondering how that affects, because I know for a fact that the mallards are not coming through the central part of the state in the last few years like they normally do. So they're going to east or west, at least for those few years. And I don't know how that plays into it. A drought doesn't bother us. Our river never dries up. Mm-hmm. So you guys are hunting ponds and marshes. We're not. Mm-hmm. We have ponds and marshes here, and they're open until, you know, we usually say right around Thanksgiving is usually our first push. That's kind of the rule of thumb. But until the river can be pretty slow until all of our ponds and marshes around here freeze up. And once they freeze up, the river, it's on. That's the only open yeah. water they got. So mm-hmm. a, a drought doesn't bother us one bit because our river never, never, never dries up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother us one bit. You're lucky. So the only <laughs> thing a drought would bother us would be bird hatching and ducklings and overall yeah. population. But a drought mm-hmm. does not bother us one ounce. And actually, a drought for us, early for early season birds where I live. Now, eastern Nebraska is different than where I live. They got a lot of rainwater basins. They got mm-hmm. a lot of marshes, and they and those guys typically always hunt that because the river out in the eastern and central Nebraska isn't that great. Um, it's bigger, it's wider, it freezes quicker. There's a lot of pressure. So there's a lot of marshes in that area too. Um, so a drought really hurts them, especially early season. Mm-hmm. If we had a drought here during early season, it would actually help us because a lot of our ponds and marshes may be dried up. It, it, all the birds would concentrate 
to the river at the very beginning of the season. Right. But when when we don't have a drought, they're, they're scattered all over hell. So it, it, our drought doesn't bother us where we live. And when I say when, when I say Western Nebraska, everybody, I'm talking way west. We're 40 miles from Wyoming. Yeah. We're not. You know. You know. Everybody thinks Lincoln and Omaha are Nebraska, and they they are, but not where I live. Yeah, it's a it's a diverse state. I Nebraska. I love Kansas, being being a Kansas boy and everything. But Nebraska is so diverse. In it, I just it's a fantastic state. It's an absolute. It, and it is. It is. But there state. is no ducks here. Everybody stay out. That's true. <laughs> but the thing about Nebraska, it, it's it's mostly private. So if you yeah. want to come and do it, do it yourself, run around shooting public land. It's Nebraska is really really hard to do because a lot most of it's private, mm-hmm. especially rivers, especially the river. So you guys said that you were at when you opened up fifteen mid November. You were shooting about a quarter of the mallards. Was there a t- a a point in time because it was from that point on it was mild weather clear almost all of december and we were everyone i knew was killing green wing teal november december when when did you start did you have to wait until that cold cold front to really start killing mallards or, or was no, there we, we kill that? mallards right off the bat it, it, it starts right away because that's our predominant duck like that is that's our product now i'm looking at a picture right now in my phone from November 19th mm-hmm. and it is 75% mallards. Okay. Well, I thought you said you're only shooting a quarter of them were mallards. Well, Did I miss it? Did I miss I'm looking, I'm, I'm trying to remember. You're talking about early, early season. You're talking about late October. I'm talking well, November 19th. We started. Okay. Now I'm, 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 I'm looking through my pictures and I'm looking at club, club pictures and most of it's mallards, and there's some gadwalls and some widgeons and some teal, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Now, I we did go through a weird phase this year, and it was the weirdest thing is if it wouldn't have been for green wing teal, we went to about a two two to three-week stretch where we couldn't hardly kill a mallard, and the green wing teal were like, hey, here we come. And it, I don't know why it, was, why it was the way it was, but that's how it was. It, mm-hmm. They got mallards – there was about a three-week stretch, even almost a month, where our, our weather was so mild here mm-hmm. and so mild up north. We had the most stale birds I've ever seen in my life for about a month, and you couldn't—I don't—you couldn't do anything with them. You, you go big spread, small spread, no spinners, call, not call. You couldn't do. They would come if you didn't have a good wind and perfect conditions. You, you might as well went, went golf because it was—I've never seen anything like it. They yeah. get, they'd be all locked up. They get to 40 yards and literally go straight up in the air and you, you couldn't do anything with them. Hmm. So we didn't, we didn't even have them. So if on, on the app in Kansas, there was 93 hunts logged in November and the number one bird killed during that time was green wing teal, 215 green wing teal. And the second highest was mallards at 59. And that's wow. all November. And we normally kill plenty of mallards in November, but this year, I mean, the mallards just stayed north of us clear, clear into December. I mean, until really for me, I know there was some people killing it. It changed a little bit in December, but until that real cold front came, it was just green wing teal, but the green wing teal wouldn't leave. Yeah. It was just limit after limit. Everyone I knew, everyone pitched like green wing teal. And I mean, 215 to 59 in the month of November, that's just a yeah. really unusual year test to see that for some reason even even where we live it doesn't matter the time of the year 
the predominant duck that we shoot is a mallard. Yeah. That, that's just, just, that's just how it is. That, that's, mm-hmm. and, and we get a lot of our birds, I believe from like Eastern Montana. So they come down and I watch the Eastern Montana weather like a shark. <laughs> and, but we, we typically shoot. If we, we're excited most of the time to shoot your off duck. Cause a lot of times it doesn't happen. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. I don't even know if we shot a pintail this year. Well, you shot a couple half pintails. I was going to bring that up. Oh yeah, when we did do that, we did talk about that. that. What week was that? That was, um, let me look. So we did something. I so we shot a hybrid this year. We shot a well, we shot two of them. We shot a pintail mallard hybrid, and we shot two of them in a five day period. So we shot our first one on November fifth or December fifteenth, and we and it's probably its twin brother. On I'm looking through my pictures on November December twentieth. They are identical. Oh, wow. They are identical, and they came off of our refuge. And the first one we shot, about twenty birds came in and did it really really good, and everybody volleyed into them, and um. We started picking up ducks with the dogs, and I can't remember which dog. I don't think it might have been Flash. I can't remember what dog it was, but brought back a hybrid. We had no idea we even shot it, mm-hmm. and it was it was a hybrid. I've only seen one hybrid in my entire life alive, and we ended up killing one. And then five days later, three ducks were circling the blind, and Anthony, one of my members, had a guest in. And the guest goes, "That's a pintail," and I I'm looking. And it was kind of a funky wind. It was a it was a southeast wind, which is is such a pain. So they were coming over my right shoulder, landing with the current, which is really hard to do. And I said, "No, that's not a pintail." We're talking. And these things circling. There's three of them circling. I said, "It's too dark for a pintail." And it came. They those three. When they finally gave it up, they gave it up, gave it up, and they came right over my right shoulder. And I didn't say a word. But when it came over my shoulder, it was at about 15 yards, and I could see that thing was a hybrid. Oh man! Day, I'm going. Oh, I'm like, oh my! And I didn't say a word, and I couldn't shoot because the birds were going towards the east end of the blind, and I wasn't going to shoot across Anthony's face and, and his his guest's face. But those two killed all three birds, and I told Anthony, I said, "Do not get your dog out, Anthony." I said, "Go pick up that middle bird. That's a hybrid. Do not let your dog pick it up." And he went running out there, and of course, it was a hybrid, and then identical to the one we shot five days before that. Oh my gosh. I can't it, wait to see that mount. Insane. It was insane. And how so how are I you going to mount that, it? What what's your do you have an idea with Yeah, what I'm going to do is I've got a really really nice pintail um on the wall kind of flying and I'm going to mount so that's already on the wall and I've got a mallard drake kind of doing the same thing and I'm going to mount those two hybrids in that like that group of four with all four of them flying oh wow like you have a mallard a pintail yeah. and you have the hybrids in like in yeah. one group and that's just going to yeah. be on the wall in the lodge and it's going to be super cool yeah um, but you know so i sent those pictures of those hybrids to a buddy of mine he sent them to a biologist so to shoot a hybrid is like one in a million chance right to shoot two of them in five days is unheard of yeah and i told him where they came from you know same area he thought that, that's probably a family he, he thought it might have been actually a family of them all right. So huh. it was really, really unique, and it, and they are literally they're identical to each other. It's it's crazy. Are you gonna put that um, in the lodge? Yeah, that'll be in the lodge. Right. Yeah, that'll be on the on the wall in the lodge. It, it's a super cool. 
super cool deal. I've never, and I may never shoot, shoot another one. And I haven't shot one, so I've seen them shot, but I, you know, I might have shot into that first one, but I had no idea. I would usually, I'm pretty good at recognizing what I shoot, and that bird, the first mount, the first hybrid was killed towards the east or east end of the blind, and it landed across the water. And I ever, I shoot everything to the right, so I know I didn't shoot that one. I know I didn't shoot the second one because if I would have. I'm usually pretty good at recognizing something oddball in the birds. That's the first thing I look for is something odd. And I never did see that bird. So, well, do you have any other thoughts or um, observations that stick out in your mind about this past season? Um, just weather. It was really frustrating for us. The weather was, you know, it went from super, super nice to a few decent days then to super, super cold and then 65 degrees. It, it was right. the weirdest. It was the weirdest. The, the, the weather was frustrating. Now, compared to the season before, that was even worse. We had that huge 100-year blizzard last year that was mm -hmm. absolutely miserable. I, I'll take this year's weather over last year's weather any day. Um, but it was, I think, you know, this season, it, you know, we, we did a good job. We shot quite a few birds, and we had a great time, and um, – I just think the weather was, was really frustrating. You know, all of our members had a great time. All the dogs did good. Nobody got hurt. No dogs got hurt. Everybody was safe. You know, that's all the thing you can ask. You know, we had a great time hanging out together. Um, you know, and that, that's all you, that's all you can ask. And, and, and you know, speaking of that, I, I shouldn't do this, but I put a plug in here, but we actually have a member. Um, we have an opening in our club, which is unheard of. Usually they don't get out. Um, so if anybody's out there looking to join, like a real exclusive. Now it's not cheap by no means, but if anybody's looking to join one, um, give me a holler, let me know. So, and how can they, how could they contact you? Um, just shoot me an email. Um, you know, CJ, at, no, no, excuse me. Flatlander kennels at gmail.com. So flatlander kennels at gmail.com and shoot me an email We're we, we, we almost do like an interview process. It's kind of a funny deal because there's only eight of us and we all have to get along. And mm -hmm. it's not for everybody, you know, it's, it's, it's a real fun deal, but, um, we have a great time. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on here. <clears throat> Those of you listen, remember, um, Chris and I have another podcast, Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Job. And we're actually starting season two just underway. So if you're trying to get into the dog thing, or if you're already a dog guy, make sure and check us out. Flatliner Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. So thank you for coming on here. Um, hopefully next year we'll be able to hunt together. I would really, I mean, I was looking forward to that trip. But, oh, it's it, just, just actually just plan on it between next Christmas and New Year's. Just, just plan on it. And we got to get you out here. Cause you're, you'll have a good time. You'll, you, it'll be fun. And it's real comfortable and you'll, you'll everybody, everybody's really excited for you to come out this year and film and do all those things. It's just, you know, it just didn't work out. Yep. just didn't work out, but I'm, I'm alive to hunt another day. So I'm, that's, I'm okay with it. <laughs> that's all that matters, man. That's all that matters. All right. Well, thank you for joining me until next time you've listened to another episode of the North American waterfowler podcast.